Welcome to Supersized Science, where we feature research and discoveries nationwide, enabled by advanced computing technology and expertise at the Texas Advanced Computing Center of the University of Texas at Austin. I'm Jorge Salazar, a science writer at TAC. Mark Twain is attributed with the quote, whiskey is for drinking and water is for fighting over. But what if cooperation yielded more benefit than just going it alone when it comes to urban water utilities? A new study of water supply in the North Carolina Research Triangle found that agreements between water utilities can help mitigate their risks. The research used supercomputer allocations on the Stampede 2 system of the Texas Advanced Computing Center, awarded by Exceed, the Extreme Science and Engineering Discovery Environment, which is funded by the National Science Foundation. The findings can apply to any place where water providers allocate regional water resources among users that face challenges in supply and demand and in affordably financing infrastructure improvements. Here to talk more about their water supply study are David Gorlick and David Gold. Gorlick is a postdoctoral research associate at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Gold is a PhD candidate in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Cornell University. Welcome to Supersized Science. It's great to be here. Thank you. So could you tell us about the main results of your study on water, what are called uh, inter-utility water agreements? Um, yeah, so what uh, what's going on in the study? Sure, thank you for asking. So within the study, First and foremost, what we wanted to investigate and what we found was related to how water utilities within regional settings can cooperate to help meet their water supply and financial goals. Some of our results, first and foremost, we found that cooperation amongst utilities could be beneficial to both their water supply and financial needs compared to more traditional independent planning and management. Interestingly, we still found this to be true regardless of the type of cooperation we tested and despite highly correlated climate conditions, think like drought impacting an entire region at once. Despite this, agreements were still uh, fairly successful. The second thing that we found of our major points was that when we investigated different types of agreement structures that utilities could enact, so think the financial mechanisms that enable cooperation such as a contract on how to pay for or allocate capacity in a water treatment plant. Uh, what we found was pretty fascinating there that under more flexible agreements, which we originally hypothesized might benefit utility partners more by allowing them to adapt to changing conditions. In fact, we found that utilities experienced more financial risk in these cases. And it basically that's because with the less, less flexible agreements, the utilities, they're limited to mitigating their own risks. But when agreements can be updated over time, now each utility is more exposed to the risks and the uncertainties of their partners. So altogether, we found that cooperation is a good thing, but the type and the manner in which cooperation occurs can be very important for water utilities, and thus the water rates that all of us pay to get our water bills. Yeah, so I'm, I'm calling you from Austin, Texas, and... Um... I, I don't know if you heard that we have an expression about water that, um, uh, what is it? Whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting, I think. <laughs> yeah, could you describe a good example of, in this study, of, of how, you, how you went about analyzing um, these financial risks and benefits of these inter-utility agreements? Sure, uh, another great question. So it all starts with a model. Uh, and by model, I mean a computational 
model that we can develop and run as sort of um, a smaller assessment of the system. Um, so we worked with regional utilities in North Carolina to build a computer model that could accurately simulate their risk management and long-term infrastructure planning decisions from about today until 2060. That's their their planning horizon, they would say, but really it's it's the amount of time that you know they expect and they need to be thinking about the future. So what we did was first build this system, make sure it was accurate and it and it met the criteria that the utilities were looking for. Uh, and next we subjected this system model to a variety of uncertainties. Some pretty well known like demand growth for water demand as well as hydrologic change such as climate change or other things. Um, and others, what we would call deeply uncertain that we really don't know anything or very much about. And based on performance criteria that the utilities want to meet, we can then assess the robustness of different management strategies, meaning do they work well under any future state of the world, even when that future is very uncertain. Um, and that's sort of the modeling strategy we took. And, and as you maybe could guess, that second part with a lot of uncertainties it requires a whole lot of hardware and computational power to start assessing, to be able to give us conclusions under all of those different possible futures, what uh, works best. Is there a good example of um, like a poster child for a successful inter-utility agreement? And also um, why all this attention? Why, why are scientists uh, keen to study this using these computer models and other ways to, to, to do it? No, this was great. And this was kind of the motivation for why we wanted to do this work in the first place, that there are great examples of inter-utility agreements all over the country and all over the world. Um, in a lot of places, these, these things are possible or made possible in the U.S. because of the ability for municipalities and local governments to enact inter-local agreements. And inter-utility agreements can be thought of as, as a legal subset of those. Um, so the simplest example of an agreement like the ones we tested in our paper could be a fixed allocation agreement. So, for example, for a piece of infrastructure like a new reservoir or a new water or wastewater treatment plant, utilities could partner together and be allocated fixed, unchangeable allocations of storage or treatment capacity in that project at the outset of it. Uh, so if one utility, for instance, pays for 20% of the development of that plant or expects to pay for 20% of its use over its lifetime, then they are allowed to use 20% of its capacity. And that can be based on right how much money they put into it at the beginning, how much they plan to use over the next half century or some other setup. Why these sorts of agreements matter is that, and why we wanted to test uh, at least a couple in this study is that the agreements are widespread and very customizable from place to place. Um, but there are very few research efforts thus far to assess their performance in terms of utility, supply, and financial objectives. So by looking into these agreements to understand what kind of uncertainties help and hurt them, then we can help utilities all across the world to make more financially sustainable decisions. And in turn, this can help ensure water users like you and I have affordable water bills so that our utilities are doing more cooperating than, than conflicting, as you mentioned with uh, whiskeys for drinking and, and waters for fighting, the better, the more ways and more effective ways utilities have to cooperate amongst themselves, the better it is for everyone. Could you talk about uh, some of the, uh, the, the computational challenges that you met when you were looking at um, uh, simulating 
I believe the regional water supply, like I said, the supply side of this. Yeah. And I know uh, Dave and I both, we, we took on these challenges together and Dave has, I think, a lot more to say on this point. But basically, the bottom line is that nearly there are nearly infinite uncertainties when we're addressing these, these big, complicated, natural and social and structural problems like interutility agreements. It takes it takes a village to assess and think about those problems and to be able to simultaneously explore the effects of the most important uncertainties that we face. We really did need you know, supercomputing capacity to simulate those millions of potential future states of the world. Um, and that has been where the supercomputing award, those resources made this possible. I think, Dave, did you want to add something on this? Yeah, I can, I can build on that. I, I think really to underscore what David was saying, uh, this work is not possible without these exceed supercomputing resources. Like David mentioned, we evaluate the water supply system over millions of future states of the world. Uh, and this allows us to discover water management strategies that are robust to these broad sets of future conditions. Uh, without the supercomputing capabilities, we're really flying blind in terms of you know, how does this system react to different types of uncertainties, whether it's population growth or changing climate. Uh, and by being able to explore that, we can find these robust and sustainable water management strategies. Would you mind talking a little bit more about this model? I believe that it looked at a region in, in North Carolina. Could you talk a little bit about the scale? Like uh, how, how big are we talking about? And maybe some of the things that went into, in, in, into putting together this model of water supply. Yeah, so this model has, over the course of probably 15 years and many, many students and researchers been put together in North Carolina. We, it centers on the research triangle, which if, if for those unfamiliar, those are, it refers to the, the cities of Chapel Hill, Durham, and Raleigh, which have the research universities, UNC, Duke, and NC State. Um, but the, it's, it's more than just three points of the triangle. So it's got the major cities, Durham, Raleigh, and Chapel Hill, but also very important partner cities like Cary, uh, Chatham County, and Pittsburgh. And those are very growing and, and up and coming places. The whole region in general has um, almost 2 million people now um, and is expected to grow quite a bit into the future, um, which makes it an interesting water uh, management problem from an academic side. Um, and from a practitioner side, is quite a challenge, which is why we're hopeful we can help. Um, but the model was built up one by one at a utility scale. So we think about the overall water demands these utilities are facing every week out until 2060. We think about the potential hydrologic conditions they'll be facing, you know, as the inflows to their reservoirs may ebb and flow, not only seasonally, but as there's climate change or other impacts or land use change that can impact when water is available in reservoirs. We think about the management of those reservoirs and how water can be moved around, not only from different reservoirs that each of the utilities operate on their own, but whether the utilities can transfer water amongst each other, whether they can react to drought with uh, water conservation uh, measures, such as asking people you know, not to water their lawns and, and things like that and also whether they have financial strategies that can insulate them from some of their more steeper financial risks, such as maintaining a reserve fund. Um, and the model reacts to sort of read what they expect their risk of failure in the future to be, so that if the reservoirs are coming down pretty low and they think it's gonna be a dry season coming up, the utilities can react proactively to you know, purchase a water transfer or ask people to conserve water. And 
we put all of that into our modeling framework to be able to you know, assess how the whole system is going to react when we force these stresses and uncertainties upon it. Um, and to do that, then we dive a little deeper by sort of wrapping that within a framework of um, multi-objective optimization to think about not only the, the supply and financial objectives that utilities have and being able to search through this space, we can hopefully identify, um, you know, candidate portfolios of action, we might call, or decisions that utilities could make, um, all six of them together in this region, to come out with favorable outcomes in the long term. What's the most important thing that you'd like the public to know about using supercomputers uh, to help meet water needs? If I could jump in, um, David and I were talking just before this, and we were talking about the fact that Today, our water systems are actually facing greater challenges than I think we've ever really faced before. Um, but we also have tools that we've never had before in terms of supercomputers. So by using resources such as those available at Exceed, uh, we are able to actually level the playing field a bit. So when we think about the challenges coming from population growth and changing climate and the broad set of uncertainties that are introduced by those factors, being able to use these computer resources allows us some insight into the potential effects of these changes and allows us to develop these sustainable management strategies that can actually keep our water supply reliable um, for years to come. You've been listening to researchers David Gorlick and David Gold. Supersized Science is part of the Texas Podcast Network. The Conversations Changing the World, brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this podcast represent the views of the hosts, not of the University of Texas at Austin. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.